better now. Okay, I told Brett I, uh, Brent I wouldn't make that mistake, and I did. Sorry. Do I need to tell that joke again? <laughs> no, we're good. Look, uh, as Alan was praying, though, we, we do recognize Mother's Day can be a tough time. And I even looking at Facebook yesterday and seeing people who had lost their mom. You know, there's hurt and pain that, that comes with that. And seeing pictures and people talking about, oh, you know, if I could have another moment with my mom to tell her how much I love her. There's pain with that, isn't there? Uh, I know people who have lost children. And you think of being a mother, and I could think of no greater sorrow uh, than, than losing a child. And Mother's Day can be tough. Uh, you can think of people who have strained relationships with their mothers. And you think of all the pain and the hurt that, that comes with that. And I was looking at one uh, gal on Facebook yesterday and did a video, and, and she spent about seven minutes talking about her childhood, and she lost her mom when she was, she was the oldest of seven or eight kids, but lost her mom when, uh, before her teenage years even. And basically knowing her story kind of became a mom to those younger children. And even here now, almost 30 years later, the pain that still exists in that and thinking about it. And there's no Mother's Day that goes by when she doesn't recall that. And it can be tough. And so as she's talking about, though, the, the beautiful thing that she was reminded of is, you know, we've got a great comforter. And we've got a God that wants to comfort our hearts, that we can go to, that we can lay our pain and our sorrow. And she was talking about Psalm 56, that, you know, he bottles our tears. He bottles our tears and our sorrows. That, what, a, what a great God that we serve, that even in the midst of pain and sorrow and hurting, uh, that he is there. And he understands. We have a God that knows what we're going through. And we think of Jesus, his life that was lived and his death uh, that occurred. And man, he knows and understands our pain and our sorrow. And he's there. And what a comfort uh, that can be. And this morning, we, we want to look at an individual uh, that kind of is famous as far as biblical figures go. And there's a lot of controversy, I think, as well that kind of surrounds her. And so we're going to look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. And even thinking uh, about her story, and you think about pain and sorrow, and Simeon talking to her, and the prophet Simeon talking, and says, you know, your soul will be pierced. That was a burden that she would have to carry, that her very soul would be pierced. And as a mother, to understand the pain and the sorrow, here, here's somebody that, that went through it and understood it. And so it can be a little difficult looking at Mary sometimes uh, because of some of the teaching and the belief that's out there that surrounds her. And I think sometimes when we think about that, it causes us to say, you know, especially in the Protestant church, like, well, maybe we shouldn't be talking about her. But yet we look at a woman who was blessed. We look at who, a woman who was great among women, who was highly favored among God, uh, by God. And so I think it's important as we look at portraits of the faith Here's someone who is a great example. And so we want to look at Mary, and I, you know, I kind of feel bad because we're going to spend like the first portion of this talking about everything that Mary is not, right? And so it's maybe not all that great, but I'm trying to imagine writing a Mother's Day card, and I'll spend the half of it talking about, here's everything you've done wrong, Mom, right? <laughs> but we'll get to how great you are in a little bit. So it's going to be a little like that uh, because I think the beliefs and what's taught and what's what's thought about Mary out there, that we, we need to make sure that's clarified to, before we can fully understand this great woman of God and who she is. 
Uh, so we're going to look at that. And here, first of all, we're going to talk about uh, who Mary is not. Who Mary is not. And the first thing, uh, as we look at some teaching, this is from 1854, Pope Pius IX. She, he pronounced the immaculate conception as doctrine within the Catholic Church, dogma within the Catholic Church, the immaculate conception. And I think if I ask the question, what is the immaculate conception? If I ask you guys right now, 75% of you would probably tell me, well, you know, it was uh, the Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. Another 25% would talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers and this amazing catch that was had. And that would be our opinion of what the immaculate conception is. The reality is the immaculate conception is not about Jesus, it's about Mary, okay? And so when the, the, this doctrine within the Catholic Church, the Immaculate Conception is about Mary in the womb being preserved from original sin, that Mary was without sin. And so this is the concept, and it wasn't a new concept in 1854 when Pope Pius said, okay, this is going to be doctrine within the church. This is something that was believed and taught for a while. St. Augustine taught and believed this. Martin Luther believed this. So this wasn't a new concept, and it wasn't a new idea, but it would became part of dogma within the, the Catholic Church. They believed Mary was preserved from sin. Within the womb of her parents, who were both sinners, by the way, preserved from this original sin. So it, it, it's important to understand as we look at Scripture. Here's, here's the big difference. If you look at the Catholic Church and you look at the Protestant Church, and the big difference is both are going to believe, okay, yeah, you know, we believe in the Word of God. Now, we believe in the Word of God and the Word of God only, where in the Catholic Church they would believe, yes, in the Word of God, but if you're trying to argue from a standpoint of just the Word of God, they also believe in tradition. Right? And the early church and things they heard and what they taught, that carries as much weight as what the Bible does. And so you can talk to somebody, who, a very devout Catholic, who says, yeah, I know it's not in Scripture, but it was always taught and believed. And so this is what we, we have to deal with. And so there's a high value in the church community and the church past for all these things. Now, for us, you know, we as a church don't believe in the immaculate conception, Right? We believe in the incarnation, that God became man, that Mary conceived of the Holy Spirit, because that's what's taught in the scripture. And that's what we're going to see even today as we look at Luke chapter 1 and we read the story. That's what we're told. Now, the problem then, you know, as you look at this, it, it, we're going to kind of filter down this road as they look at this. There's going to be some other beliefs that go with it. But I think a, a, for, a few important things for us to understand, one the Bible doesn't teach it, right? And if we look at Mary and we see, I think she understood. I think, in fact, I know she understood her need for a Savior. And we see it even in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, 47. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, if there is someone who is sinless, do they need a Savior? No, if you're sinless, you don't need a Savior, right? Jesus was sinless. He didn't need a Savior. But if we know sin and there's sin in our life, we're lost. We're broken. We need saved from that sin. And Mary recognized who she was and what she needed. And even in that first conversation that she has with this angel, it says, the Lord, my Savior. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She understood, I need a Savior. So her words, we also see uh, as she 
some error. Again, I'm not looking to drag Mary down here, but you look, and you're going to look in places like Luke chapter 2. We'll look at these things in a little bit. Luke chapter 2 and John chapter 2, we see when Jesus at the temple and, and the water into wine, we see Mary really in error. We see mistakes or maybe not following the will of God. And so we see that. She was an ordinary woman. Ordinary woman who needed a savior. She was a woman honored by God, but nowhere do we see that Mary was a sinless individual. The second thing we see in the, that's taught is this idea of perpetual virginity. She, is, she was and remained a virgin even after the birth of Jesus. Uh, Luther, again, Luther believed this. Calvin also believed this and taught it. And I just don't think there's biblical support. If you look at the scripture, look at Matthew chapter 1, 24 through 25. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. Now, why would Matthew not just say that? If that was the case, why would he say, okay, they consummated their marriage after the baby was born, after Jesus was born? And so again, biblical proof on that. You can continue and you can look, and we see three different times where Jesus' brothers and sisters show up, and there's conversation about them. Again, support that Mary and Joseph uh, had a family and other brothers and sisters after the fact. So nowhere do we see that. Now, it's tied you know, uh, the Catholic Church holds a high view of celibacy. You know, you can see that's why, you know, priests remain single and all that. So there's a high view, and I think that's part of the problem and why it happens. The third thing that we know that Mary is not, Mary often referred to as the mother of God. Mary, the mother of God. We've heard that, right? And so the, the problem with that is I think it, it elevates Mary to a position that could be identified, I mean, the mother of God, right? I mean, that's a pretty high position. Now, she's never called that. She is, she is called Elizabeth, the, the mother of my Lord. She's called the mother of Jesus, and she is those things. But to elevate her and to call her Mary, the mother of God, I think there's undue attention that's brought upon her. And I think even, you know, we don't get the benefit of, of Mary being here and telling us who she is, but I, I can't imagine Mary here and having that conversation with us that she would do anything other than point us to Jesus. And I think putting her in that place and, and that, uh, that, having that conversation takes away and gives un, undue uh, attention to her and her role. And all we want to do, and I believe her life would, would want to do the same, is point people to Jesus. And so nowhere, again, do we see this as taught. The fourth thing is the assumption of Mary. So you can go back. This is a more recent, November 1st, 1950, the Catholic Church, again, dogma teaches that Mary, after completing her earthly life, was taken to heaven. And you can see this, this dangerous road you go down where, okay, if, if Mary had no sin, well, if she has no sin, then, then there could be no death, right? Because the result of sin is death. So Mary must have been assumed to heaven, that she didn't die, she just went to heaven. And, you know, we see biblical evidence that this has taken place before with Elijah and Enoch, and we see that story taking place. But again, nowhere in Scripture do we see it. In fact, we know, based on Mary's response in her life, that, you know what, she, she wasn't sinless. She, she was an ordinary woman who loved God, who followed God, who was blessed, but she did fall short. The last thing we see that would be untrue of Mary 
uh, and is believed is that Mary was a partner in what Jesus would do to redeem his people from their sin. This was even taught by Pope John Paul, and he believed and he taught it. Basically, the idea behind this was like Eve was the mother of all mankind. Mary was the mother of the church. And this thought came from, if you look at John chapter 19, and you see Jesus on the cross, and he's talking, there, there's John, the beloved apostle, and Mary, his mom, and he says to her, okay, behold, this is your mother, this is your son. And they took that as to mean, okay, you know, John, a representative of the church, and now Mary, the mother of that church, and where that came from. And I I don't think, again, there's any kind of evidence for that. I think what it is, is we see the compassion and the love of Jesus, even on that cross. Because if, if you remember what I said a little bit ago, Simeon, who, who the prophet prophesied about Mary, right, that her soul would be pierced. And here Jesus is on the cross being pierced for our sins and our transgressions. And can you imagine a mother in that moment watching a son on the cross? A son dying, and, and you know as a mother how innocent your son is. Right, my mom knows I, I don't make mistakes, but imagine how much more we look at the Savior of the world who knew no sin, who knew no wrong, on the cross, and there is Mary, knowing this perfect son is dying for no reason, a soul pierced. And so I imagine Jesus, in my mind in that moment, is like, with true compassion, telling John to take and look after Mary, the servant of God. And so in their minds, they believe that she has this role, and now she even intercedes on behalf of the, of the church to God. And you'll hear prayers like this one. It's, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death. Amen. I remember the first Catholic funeral I was at, and they were praying this over and over. And why are they doing it? Because there's a belief that Mary is interceding on their behalf. Well, again, that's a dangerous thing, isn't it? It's a dangerous elevation of who this woman was, Mary. Nowhere do we see that. And, and instead, we see like places like 1 Timothy 2, where there is one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus alone. Jesus alone. And so it's important for us to look at her and understand that Mary, a godly woman, she was favored by God. She was blessed. She was favored among women. And we're going to see here in a little bit that this is a woman that loved God, that knew the scriptures. But that's what she was. And we read stories, and we're so attracted to, to stories like David, right? Where we see the story of David, and we're like, this is a, God, a man after God's own heart. He loved God, and yet he had failures. And it kind of makes us feel good about ourselves, right? Because we see, and we're like, okay, I made mistakes, and yet this guy pursued God. We see stories of Peter and Peter, who was bold, bold to follow Jesus, yet even in his boldness denied Jesus three times. We look at stories like that, like, okay, I can identify with that. You know, I love Jesus, but there's been times I haven't been bold like I should be. And so we see these characters, these great portraits of the faith, and we identify with them. But then we see Mary, and we see these pictures of a halo over her head, and, you know, she's the mother of God, and she looks perfect even after giving birth to a son in a, in a manger, and we're like, ah, I'm amazed how that could happen. And we see who this appears to be this, 
this perfect woman. And so I think we, we don't identify as much, right? We want someone who has a normal husband, who's got some kids that are a little unruly, you know, that has other things that have taken place in her life, but, you know, maybe not as quite as easy. But as we dig deeper and look at the story of Mary and who she is, that, that's who she is, right? Just a, a normal woman, a young woman, a teenager, called by God for this incredible thing to be used mightily for the kingdom of God. She had run unruly kids. They had seven or eight kids, right? And some of these kids, it said after, not till Jesus had died, did they go and follow Jesus, right? Not till after he was gone, not till after his death and his resurrection, did they truly put their faith in Jesus. She had kids that weren't following. She had an ordinary husband. There's no offense to Joseph, but you know, he's a carpenter. There's doesn't appear to be anything else other than he loved God, followed God, but just an ordinary man who then we don't see him. We, we assume that he probably died at somewhat of a young age. And here's Mary, left a widow, raising seven or eight kids. A truly extraordinary story of who she is. And so we want to look at this and we want to see that, yeah, you know what? Mary is not a lot of what maybe the world views her as, but she is an extraordinary individual. She is blessed among women. She is highly favored, and the Lord was with her. So I think it's awesome to look at a story and look at a life where it says that. Man, blessed among women, women, highly favored. God is with her. Aren't those incredible things to be said? They are. So, so let's look at some highlights uh, and what I want to do is I, I think there are eight times that Mary speaks, or at least there's indicates that she did speak. So I'm going to look at eight times here where, where uh, Mary spoke. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at the birth of Jesus foretold. Verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. What an incredible thing this angel has said to him. And you're favored. You found favor with God. You are blessed among women. God is with you. You will conceive of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's quite a bit to hear, right? I mean, this is quite a statement made to Mary. And Mary's first response, and I think we see the humanity here in Mary. She says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? You know, laying out like, I've, you know what, I've been in biology class. I, I know how this whole thing works. How in the world can this happen? 
right? She's, she's speaking as a normal human trying to understand, trying to imagine an angel coming and saying that, right? I mean, this is going to be difficult to grasp and to understand, and that's how she's responding, like a normal human being would in this moment. She hears it, and she's like, how? How can this be? I'm a, I'm a virgin. How could this possibly take place? It continues, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she will be said to be, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. So she said, how's this going to be? And the angel goes on and he explains, you're going to be conceived from the Holy Spirit and the Son of God. You will give birth to the Son of God. You talk about a high calling, right? So she's taking all of this in. And you need to understand, as she hears this, I want you to take you back to the times and understand what it means. Now, some believe Mary could have been as young as 14 years old when this took place. 14, 14 years old, or near that age, right? So here she is, she has this high calling. The angel has just spoke to her. And now imagine the response you're going to, to, to have. Now, first of all, she's engaged to be married, right? She's engaged to be married, betrothed to Joseph. And in that day, it's like, you know, well, this thing's done. You're on your way to being married. And we know from Joseph's response what she should expect. Like, if, if you show up, and Joseph knows, like, I know she's a virgin, right? I, I've never had sex with her. I, I know what's going on here. And she shows up pregnant. What's going to be your response? And Joseph responds like we expect him to respond. He's like, his, he was going to do the nice thing and kind of divorce her quietly and move on. It's like, this is the response we would expect if we're engaged and the woman shows up pregnant. Like, this is probably not meant to be, right? And so Mary, she hears this story. She's got to think, like, this could be a consequence of it. Right? The consequence could be that Joseph does not marry me. So that's one of the consequences. How does your family respond if you're a teenager and you show up and you're pregnant? How would your family respond? Even in that day, I mean, you could be kicked out of the family. You, you could die for this. I mean, this is, this is no small thing that she's going to take on. And so Mary hears this and probably in this moment comprehends. She knows what can happen. She understands the consequences of it. Yet in this moment, here is her response. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Okay, God, I hear the calling you have on my life. I know what you're asking me to do. I know this calling. And I know there might be consequences. Loss of family loss of friends, death. I know the consequences, but I'm here. Let's do it. I know your will. I'm your servant, and may it be as you said. What a great example in that moment, this high calling that she receives, and she says, I'm ready. Let's do it. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. 
So here's the next moment we have. We don't know the words that Mary said to Elizabeth, but right after this shows up, her response is, I got to go find Elizabeth. She's got to go find this, this friend, Elizabeth, and talk with Elizabeth. So at the time, Mary hurries, finds her. She enters Zachariah's home, and she greets Elizabeth. Now, we don't know the words that were spoken. We don't know what was said. But Mary said something in this greeting, because listen to then Elizabeth's response. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, so we don't know what was said, but listen to Elizabeth's response. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And her response, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. I don't, I don't know the words, but the words caused the baby to leap within her womb. The words caused Elizabeth to say to Mary, you are blessed among women. I, I imagine what had taken place is Mary sharing the story. Elizabeth, here's what took place. Here's the angel that came to me. Here is the story and the Son of God to be born. That would cause Elizabeth to say, you are blessed among women. Your son is blessed. What an incredible thing. And this affirmation causes Mary to speak for a fourth time. So when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she explained, blessed are you among women, blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in the womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she, speaking of Mary, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. What an incredible gift. And Mary's response here, and there is so much in Mary, it's, it's called Mary's psalm. As, uh, listen to her response to the words of Elizabeth. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. This is an incredible thing that Mary's done. Mary's response when she hears the words from Elizabeth is it causes her to worship her God. Isn't that an awesome response? Here she hears this, and her response is, let's worship God. But you see a lot about Mary even in this song. See, Mary just didn't start humming some line to a well-known praise song. Mary's response, she, remember, she's probably 14, maybe in that ballpark at least. And at this time, this is a young woman that knows the scripture. She understands the scripture. In this song, she quotes from Genesis she quotes from 1 Samuel, she quotes from 2 Samuel, she quotes from the Psalms, she quotes from Isaiah, and she quotes from Micah. Isn't that incredible? Her response is worship and praise to her God. And how do we worship and we praise our God? We, we tell him 
what he's already told us. Here you are, God. This is how great you are, God. Her response is simply to tell God how great he is. And she did it because she knows the scripture. She studied the scripture. She understood the scripture. And she responded. Worthy of glory. These are the things she mentions about God. Worthy of glory, personal savior, gracious, holy, merciful, omnipotent, omniscient, sovereign, and benevolent. She has a knowledge of the scripture, honestly, that probably puts it. I got a four-year Bible degree, and it puts me to shame, right? Incredible knowledge of who God is and why he chose her. I think one of the, the tragedies even today in, in 20th century Christians is we don't know God because we don't know his word. And to me in this moment, Mary gives us such a great picture. Someone who loves God knows his word, right? She's favored by God. She's favored among women, blessed, highly favored. She knows God. She loves God. She pursues God. She knows his word. She recites the words right back to him. The next time we see Mary, the next two times we see Mary, we, we see the human side of Mary a little bit. In the story, uh, uh, Luke chapter 2, you don't have to turn there. I'll just kind of briefly go through it. But Luke chapter 2, it's eight days after the birth of Jesus and they dedicate him at the temple. They dedicate him at the temple. Now, we don't, there's no words of Mary indicated here, but we know tradition says that both parents participated in the dedication. And this is no uh, light thing, right? You had to bring a sacrifice. I mean, this was a big deal. To dedicate your child was a big deal. And both parents took place. So we know they, got, they brought their sacrifice. And then in that moment, both Simeon and Anna both prophesy and talk about the baby. And this was a big moment. It's no superficial action. Both Simeon and Anna spoke about him uh, because of time. I just want to share what Simeon said. And this is something I talked about earlier. But Simeon to Mary says, A sword will pierce your own soul as well. Carrying the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who would be pierced for our sins and our transgressions, yet Mary who has this high calling, Simeon says to her, your own soul will be pierced. And you think about a mother, a mother who, you know, I, I mean, doesn't seem like an easy job. I've not had the role of a mother, but it seems like a difficult job already. But here he is, the savior of the world. And you have been called with this high, high calling and responsibility. And yet we know someday she is going to have to watch him, watch him be pierced watch him die and so here in this moment despite that ultimate pain and agony that is going to come for her son for her as well it's it goes on in verse 39 to say when joseph and mary had done everything required by the law so here they are in that moment mary just like when that angel came said all right let's do this dedicates her son knows the calling knows there will be agony and pain to come, and yet goes through. Uh, the next two, real quick, you look at Luke chapter 2, verse 48 through 50. Uh, this is at the temple, right? They go to the temple. Jesus is there with his parents. And in these two moments, uh, both in Luke 2 and John 2, we see Mary really in a human element, uh, not a perfect person. Remember, Mary is different than most mothers. Uh, most children... 
should be submissive to their parents, right? Uh, Alan even mentioned that earlier. Like, there, there's a calling to be submissive to your parents. Well, Mary's in a very unique role. She's in a role where she needs to be submissive to her son, who is the Savior. And so it's a unique role. And so here, she's in this moment, and I, I, I can't imagine in this moment when I'm traveling, and it's, it's different than our day when you have to worry about all these predators and things out there, but they're traveling, and Jesus is not there. And they're like, oh, no, where's he at? And so they hurry back to the temple, and her response is like, you know, why, why have you treated us like this? And it seems like a very natural response. Like, I would probably be a little harsh if my son all of a sudden didn't show up and was, you know, like, what? listen, you, you go to your room, you're in trouble, all that, right? But it's a little different in Mary's position, in Mary's situation. And that's what Jesus tells Like, I, I'm about my father's business, right? Ma- Mary has a role to be submissive to him. But then Jesus goes on and goes back. So we see it. A very, I mean, it's a... I, I know my own wife, my, my wife's very sweet. I just won't tell that story. But I know uh, in some moments when we're frustrated with our children, right, there's things that come out. Our human side shows up, not, not you. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, so, but we know that. We know in moments with our kids that human side can come up, can show up many times. And it did for Mary. And John chapter 2, famous story uh, about Jesus turning water into wine. We're at there, and this wedding's taking place, and the worst thing in the world happens. Like, they ran out of wine, which was a big deal. I mean, ha- having a wedding was, uh, was, a, it was a feast. It was a festival. It lasted for days. And now they've ran out of wine. And so Mary, she knows her, who her son is. She understands it. She's like, you know, Jesus, they, they ran out of wine here. And Jesus' response is basically, listen. It's not my time, right? My time hasn't come yet. And in a little bit, puts Mary, again, back in her place. Mary kind of does what we do oftentimes with Jesus. We kind of treat him like this genie in a bottle, right? Like, hey, we're out of this. Jesus, we need something. And we do that so often. He's like, you know, this is about my father's will. And so we see, again, Mary, but I love her response here. Mary's response is like, you know what? Whatever he says to do, do. And so I love looking at that, as he wants to bring whatever problems we face, but we need to be prepared to follow Mary's advice. Hey, listen, do whatever he tells you. So we don't know the problems, and we don't know the, the situations we're going to face, but we need to be able to, to listen to Mary's words, even in those moments. Hey, whatever he says to do, you need to do. The last time we see Mary, and again, uh, no direct words spoken, but we know it talks about, if you go to Acts chapter 1, that she joined in prayer. Okay, so she's at this prayer meeting in Acts chapter 1, and we see the story. This is now Jesus has died, he's risen, and he is ascended to heaven, and here is Mary in this moment. And there has to be so many emotions, right? I mean, for the average person, for anyone, there is emotions. But here she is, having watched her son recently be killed be murdered but now he's risen from the dead she's seen him again he's ascended to heaven there had to be this gamut of emotions going on in her mind and in her heart and she here she is in this moment and it's a new role for her now her sons are with her and what what joy had to fill her soul at that moment like she knew who jesus was but now here are her sons with and they have believed and they have decided 
to follow Jesus. That'd be difficult for sons, right? I mean, I lived in the shadow of an older brother and an older sister, and it's a difficult role. Anybody a youngest in here? Like, my brother is the favorite of the family, okay? Well, until my sister's here, she had a brain aneurysm, and she became the favorite, so I know what it takes. But there's so... it. You know, to live in that shadow had have been difficult. I mean, here, here's, here's a perfect, perfect child, and you're living in that shadow. But they came to realize, and they came to understand, you know what, I need him. Like, yeah, that's my Savior. That's my Savior. And so I, I can't imagine in their moment living in that shadow, knowing who he was, but they came to a realization of who he was and how much they needed him. So I can't, there had to be so much, so many emotions filling the heart of Mary in this moment. Here she is in that upper room, praying, praying. They're praying for the Holy Spirit to come. They're praying. And she knows, okay, Jesus has died, but he's risen. My Savior has risen. And now here are my kids, and my kids believe. We know the joy. If you've ever experienced one of your own kids coming to know and understand who Jesus is, there's great joy in that. And here she is in that moment, probably experiencing that same joy as her kids now believe in the risen Jesus. And in this moment, I think as Mary understands that oftentimes our source to heal our heart is, is him. And here in the upper room, she's praying, she's with other believers, and there's this source of hope and joy I believe she finds. So for, for Mary, as we look at the life of Mary, it, it's easy to get caught up in, in how the world perceives her and why maybe we shy away from talking about her and understanding her life. But there's so many cool things to look, just like David or Paul or Peter or, or any of those characters that we've talked about. I mean, there's life lessons that we can get and we can gain by looking at their life lived, the mistakes maybe that were, were made, but their love and their pursuit of Jesus. And if a godly woman like Mary, blessed, blessed among women, she's highly favored, favor with God. If a woman like Mary realized her need for a Savior, man, what about us? What about us? Favored by God, blessed, and she knew, she talked about, and understood her great need for a Savior. And we're no different. We have a great need for a Savior. And one thing, any of these lives, as we look at these portraits of faith, are going to help us understand, is that like we fall short. We don't measure up. And we, too, need a Savior. And maybe for the first time, maybe we've never fully understood, like Jesus' brothers, when they finally understood that I need Jesus. I need him. to be. I need to be saved from my sins. And only Jesus can offer that. Only Jesus is the mediator between God and man. And some of us, we, we need to be comforted. We, we need to hear the words that even a time like Mother's Day or that it brings up pain and sorrow. But even as we look at Mary, we can see what her source for comfort is. What our source for comfort can be. And may we turn to God, the great comforter, who seeks to comfort, who seeks to store up our sorrows and our tears in a bottle, who understands 
what we've dealt with. And so even this morning, no matter where you are, may you seek him. May we look at a life like Mary, a life lived who, who followed, who pursued the kingdom, who knew her role within the kingdom and knew this great need for Jesus, right? We can't do this without him. It can't be done. And so what we want to do is we want to turn to the bread and the juice, and we want to do it to remember who Jesus is and what he's done. And if you know Jesus and you've made that decision to put your trust and your faith and your hope in him and his finished work on the cross and understand that he was pierced for our sins and our transgressions, he did that for us. I would encourage you to take the bread and the juice to remember, to remember this great thing that he's done. Let's pray. God, we thank you first and foremost for Jesus. God, we find life and hope and meaning in him. God, we thank you for Mary, this, this great servant of yours. God, that she heard the calling of God and she answered. God, what a great lesson for us to learn. That even through difficult circumstance, through pain and sorrow, we can trust you and we can trust your will. Uh, God, we today, we want to turn to Jesus wherever we are at in our, in our relationship. God, that we would seek you, that we would pursue you, and that we would love you. Uh, God, uh, as we take the bread and the juice, we want to remember the life and the death of Jesus, his blood shed for us. What an incredible thing you have done. We pray it and we ask in the name of Jesus. Thank you for coming this morning. Happy Mother's Day. We look forward to seeing you back next week.